Y'all had a good week since Thanksgiving break? No, why not? What's that? You're stressed? Why are you stressed, Nathan? Okay, hold on. You're going to sit here in a room full of people and say, I'm stressed because I have to go to Hawaii on Friday? Oh, I know. I know all about it, but I don't think you would get a whole lot of sympathy in this room right now. <laughs> you're heading to Hawaii on Friday. You know what? Hey, you're going to have a good time. That's all that matters, right? You're going to go. You're going to play. In case you guys didn't know, if you haven't heard, our high school band got invited. It's the 80th anniversary. And chorus, excuse me. Band and chorus. To the 80th anniversary of the Pearl Harbor. Um, of Pearl Harbor. So they're actually going down there and going to be a part of the parade down there and play and sing and do some pretty cool stuff. So that's what's going on. That's what Nathan's talking about. So I hope the rest of y'all are having a good week. Can you guys believe it's the beginning of December? Woohoo! Okay, I'm, I know you know the answer. How many weeks until Christmas break? Who said three? Two weeks. Two weeks. It's not even five days. No, school days, you've got two weeks and Thursday and Friday. Two weeks and two days. Two days. Unless you're like Brooke who's home from college and she doesn't go back until January. There are some benefits to college, right? <laughs> All right. So how many of you guys have already started listening to Christmas music? How many of you have already watched a Christmas movie? How many of you have already started decorating your house, like inside or outside? Okay. So there's a, there's a whole lot of stuff. Hey guys, there's a whole lot of stuff going on already to start getting ready for Christmas. But in the midst of all that, because that's all great stuff, and that's all stuff that can get us so busy. And what happens sometimes is we get so focused on all of those awesome things like Christmas cookies and, and hot chocolate and candy canes and presents, decorating and movies and music and all of that stuff. But sometimes we get so focused on all of that that we lose sight of what we are actually celebrating, which is the birth of Jesus. Tell me what you know about that. What do you know about when Jesus is born? Born in a manger. What's that? Yes, Mary had to ride on a donkey. Everybody's laughing, but it's true. Chloe? Okay. Okay, so in a stable, not really a clean place. Mr. Nathan? Mary was a virgin, that's right, when she was pregnant with Jesus. What's that? <laughs> it's most likely they had a house, but I, I like this guy over here. All right, Chloe? There's no room for him in the inn. Anybody got anything else? What's that? Bethlehem. Yeah, that's a pretty important part, isn't it? What you got, Canel? Yeah, that's... <laughs> so they went another way. We're going to talk about that a little bit next week. So here's, here's the reason I ask you that question, guys. Because of all of those things you've just named, you've got, you've got the manger, you've got the stable, you've got the animals, you've got a donkey, you've got all of this stuff going on. And if you stop and think about that, when, when you think about somebody who's about to have a baby, do they plan for what's going to happen? 
Okay, if, if, you've, if you've been around your parents, maybe you've got a little brother, little sister, maybe you're old enough to remember this. When your parents find out that your mom's going to have a baby, they, they start changing some things. They start getting a space ready. They start moving things. They start decorating. They start doing things very specifically so that they can be ready for that special day when that baby comes into the world. And when we look at what's going on here, as we dig in tonight, we're going to be in Luke chapter 2. So if you've got your Bibles, open those up. If you don't have those, there's a whole stack of blue ones on the back. I encourage you every single week. Yes, I'm going to put the scripture on the screen, but open up a Bible. Don't just read it off the screen. There's something about getting it in your hands and opening it and reading God's word. So if you don't have a Bible, grab a blue one off the back table there. But as we get into that, one of the things that we see, one of the main things we see in the account of Jesus' birth, is that the world really wasn't ready for him to show up. I mean, if, if, you, if you've seen your parents, because you've got that little brother and sister, you've seen the preparations that they make. You've seen the, the time that they take. I remember when we found out that, that Kathleen was going to have our oldest son, Nathan. I mean, we had a spare bedroom in our house with a whole bed and dresser and everything. We took all of that out of that room. We repainted that room. We built new furniture and, and, and went out and bought furniture and, and got that whole thing ready just for him to show up. And he needed like 10 square foot of space. And that was it, as small as he was. But when you have a new baby, you take time and you make room. But as we look at what's going on here, as we dig into Luke chapter 2 tonight, what we find out very quickly is that a world that desperately needed Jesus to come into it wasn't ready for him to come into it. The parents might have been ready. They might have prepared. But the rest of the world, they weren't ready for it. They hadn't made room for Jesus. And in Luke chapter 2, we start to see exactly what's going on. We start to see all of these different details, all of these different things that happen. But the question I want you to keep in the back of your mind as we walk through some of these verses tonight is this. Have you made room in your life for Jesus? We're going to see here that the world wasn't ready. They hadn't stopped. They hadn't made room. They hadn't taken the time. And he comes anyway. But the question I want you to remember is, have you made room in your life for Jesus? Let's look at this. Luke chapter 2. It starts in verse 1. Actually, no, we're going to stop. Stop. Can I start over? Is that okay? Okay. Luke 1. Go ahead and stand up. We're going to read all of these verses here. In honor of the reading of God's word, Luke 2, verse 1. It says, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to, Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house of the lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with his child, with child, not his child. That, does, that changes the whole narrative of what's going on here. Verse 6, And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you that we can come together here tonight, Lord, and we thank you that we can right here on this first day of a month where we're going to do a lot of celebrating, God. 
look at why we're and God, I pray that as, as we walk through some of this tonight, Lord, I pray that you'll speak to each one of us. And God, we'll walk out of here different because we've encountered you tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So go ahead and have a seat there. Remember, keep that question in the back of your mind. Have I made room for Christ? Have I made room for Jesus in my life? Let me read those first couple of verses for you again. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when, I can't say that word right, I'm having trouble tonight. Quirinius was the governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his town, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. I got it right that time. Okay. So let's, let's step back and let's, let's look at what's going on here. Okay. Does anybody have any idea of how old Mary and Joseph might've been when this was going down? Yeah. Teenagers. Some people have projected as young as 13 years old for Mary or as old as 19 years old for Joseph, but either way, they're right there smack in the middle of those teenage years. And, and Scripture tells us, if you go a little bit further back, it tells us that, that they were engaged, they were promised to each other. That's what that word betrothed means. They were promised to each other by their parents. Now, that, if, if you don't know what that means, it means when they were younger, their parents decided that when they got old enough, they were going to marry each other. Now, that's not how we do relationships and marriages in our culture during this time. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? who you would end up married to if that still happened in our society today. Some of y'all would be pretty happy. Some of y'all are like, uh-uh, I know the people my parents hang out with. There's no way. But that's, luckily for us, that's not the case anymore. But that's what was going on here. And it says that they were engaged. And, and while they were engaged, while they were betrothed before they actually got married, here's the crazy thing. Mary had a visit from an angel. Joseph had a visit from an angel in a dream. And they were told separately that they were going to have Jesus. That they were to call Him Jesus. That He was going to be the Savior of the world. Now, I don't know about you, but, it, but if I get a dream like that, I'm waking up thinking, man, I ate something bad last night. I'm not thinking that's God. But the fact that they both had a similar understanding from God this was huge in their life. Guys, they're the same age as some of you. When Mary, who's not married, finds out she's pregnant. And she's never been with a guy. And, and when Joseph finds out the girl he's supposed to marry is pregnant, and he's never been with her like that. That's a deal breaker for many of us. And yet God came to both of them and God said... This is something that is incredibly important. This is going to change history. This is going to change humanity. Mary, you are carrying the Son of God. He's going to be the Savior of the world. Joseph, the child that Mary's carrying, you need to raise him. And you need to name him Jesus. They're getting all of this information as they're teenagers. And they wrestled with this responsibility. Scripture tells us that, that Mary didn't just go, hmm, okay, sounds good. Mary actually packed up and she went to stay with her cousin Elizabeth for a while. Because she's trying to work all this out and what this means. And Joseph, Scripture tells us that he actually considered 
breaking off this betrothal, this engagement, and just kind of putting her away quietly so it doesn't look like something he did wrong. And yet, given enough time and understanding what God's plan for them was, they came together. And they became husband and wife. And that's, that's where we pick up what's going on here in Luke chapter 2. That you've got Jesus who's about to be born to Mary and Joseph. And as they get close to this time, they don't get to stay where they are. Now, my guess is they probably didn't do anything extravagant, but Mary's probably preparing for Jesus to be born. And right as she's getting close to being ready to deliver him and have that baby, she has to leave home. Scripture tells us there that they have to pack up and they have to travel. This, this census that was ordered by Caesar Augustus, typically Mary and Joseph, they would have just stayed right there in Nazareth. But because, well, that was Mary's hometown, by the way. But because she was married to Joseph now, she had to go to the town that her husband's family was from. So they didn't get to just stay where they were and have the baby like they had planned. Because of this census, they've got to go to this ancestral home, this location that Joseph's family is from. So they have to pack up and they have to start traveling to go where they're supposed to go. This is what's going down as we step into this chapter right here. And as much preparation as maybe Mary and Joseph has done, all of that gets thrown out the window when they have to start moving and going to Bethlehem because of this census. And here's the crazy part. The rest of the world wasn't ready for it. Mary and Joseph had prepared, but the rest of the world hadn't made room for Jesus. Now, something you need to pay attention to is this. God had already told the world that Jesus was coming. Do you realize that? Before Jesus ever steps on the scene, God has already told His people that a Messiah is coming and He's going to be born in Bethlehem. There's prophecy in the book of Isaiah that talks about how Jesus Christ is going to die. But if you look in Micah excuse me, 5.2, it says this. It says, But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me, one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. That scripture right there was written 700 years before Jesus was born. And there's a pretty good chance most of the Jewish people, they knew that scripture. They knew the Old Testament scriptures. And there's a pretty good chance that Mary and Joseph knew that as well. But the world still wasn't ready for Jesus. The world still hadn't made room for him. It's kind of like this. Think about it this way. Have any of you ever had your parents say, hey, 10-minute warning before we leave? Anybody? Raise your hand. Okay. And then they come back and they say, five-minute warning. And then they come back and say, two-minute warning. And then they say, it's time to go. And you say, but I'm not ready yet. That ever happened in your house? Yeah. That happens for a lot of us. <laughs> Yeah, I'm looking at you right now. <laughs> I'm calling out Jared over here. <laughs> He's looking at like, you're talking to me. Yeah, I'm talking to you. That happens to every one of us. We know it's coming. We know we're supposed to be ready. We've been told, we've been warned, and yet we're still not ready when it happens. They had 700 years warning to know that Jesus Christ was coming, and yet they weren't ready. They weren't ready for what was going to happen next. So they pack up 
and they go. Now, do you guys know how far this journey is that they went to Bethlehem? Long way. It was about 90 miles. So riding on a donkey, that would have been, and not just riding on a donkey, but a nine-month pregnant Mary riding on a donkey, that would have probably been about a four- to five-day trip. It would be like this. It would be, and, and by the way, guys, Joseph didn't ride on the donkey. He walked. So he's walking the whole way. That would be like if we started walking from right here and walked all the way to Savannah. That's how far they had to travel. That's a long way, especially if you're walking it. It's going to take you a little time to make that trip. This was a long distance for anybody, but especially Mary. And they had to go to this place that they no longer lived or Joseph no longer lived. How many, how many of you have ever lived somewhere else and then moved to Camden County? Okay, everybody in here. It would be like you going back to that town now and trying to find somewhere to stay. Only it was a little bit more difficult for Joseph and Mary because for us, when we think of going to another town or going back to the town we came from, you know, we, we think we can get a hotel or maybe we can stay with family or friends at the, or, or an Airbnb or, you know, bed and breakfast. We'll find something. We don't have a problem. We can get online and find something. But back then, they didn't have that opportunity. They couldn't call ahead. They couldn't get reservations. What they had to do is they would have to rely on the hospitality of either friends or family members who would have space for them to stay in when they got there. But in, in Mary and Joseph's time, people were relying on that cultural expectation that someone was going to give them a place to stay. So there's a pretty good chance, based on the fact that by the time they get to Bethlehem, that there's no room. Number one, they weren't the only ones who were traveling to Bethlehem. Because of this census, everybody's having to go back to their hometown, to the place that they would be counted in this census. So Scripture doesn't tell us that explicitly, but based on what's happening here, we believe that there are a lot of other people who are also traveling to that town. So when they get to that town, there's nowhere for them to stay. Now, let's stop for a second. Do you know what a census is? It counts people. Absolutely. The census, remember the Roman government was kind of in charge here. The census was how the Roman government was able to count the people so they knew who they needed to tax. This was how the Roman government was making money. So Mary and Joseph, they're getting word that they've got to go back to Joseph's home because of the census, just like everybody else. And now they've gone there and they don't have anywhere to stay. In fact, it tells us, let me read it again in Luke 2.6. It says this, and while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. Now, I find that interesting because Luke kind of gives us the timeline mixed up a little bit there. He doesn't say, hey, they went to Bethlehem, there was no place to stay, and oh, by the way, Mary went into labor. He says, no, they traveled, Mary went into labor, and they didn't have anywhere they were going to stay. It's, it's kind of backwards here. And, and what Luke does is, he kind of leaves out a lot of details about what these moments may have looked like. There's a, there's a lot of questions we have. How many houses, how many businesses, how many places did Joseph go to and knock on the door? You know, when it, when it says an inn here, we talked about before, that would have been just a place, a business or a house where somebody just had extra room. It's not like they were running like a hotel like we think about today. How much time did Joseph run around trying to find a place? Scripture doesn't tell us that. 
Scripture doesn't tell us the people that they interacted with. Scripture doesn't answer so many of those questions. But if you look at what's going on here, what it does tell us are the most important details. Verse 7 says this, And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son, and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the end. There's some major things happening there. And very often when we read the account of Jesus' birth, we just kind of breeze that part because we have this picture in our head of what that really looked like. In fact, go, go ahead and throw that up there on the screen there. We have this, this idea, and you've probably been shown pictures like this since you were a little kid if you grew up in church, and you've seen this for years. You've got this, this I, I don't know where that light's coming from, first of all. Is that like the glow off of baby Jesus or what's happening there? I, I, what's that? It's a nightlight? Okay, okay. It's a nightlight because you know, you know that's not a lantern sitting on hay because that you knock that thing over, everybody's dead. Okay, so that's not what's going on there. But you've got all of these people here. And, and this is, this is kind of how we've modernized this picture. Show that next one. How many of you have one of these in your house? Not exactly like this, but you've got a manger scene in your house. Okay, this, that one's, that one's kind of, what's that? A nativity set, yes. Some people call it a manger scene, different traditions, it's okay. But this, what's that? It absolutely, okay, anybody here have the little people nativity set? Thank you! Hey, just so you know, they've been asking for nativity sets for the tables next weekend over there for the dinner theater, or the dinner that we're doing, and I've been telling Miss Kathleen for two weeks, get our little people nativity and put that on a table. Wouldn't that be awesome? Yes! What's that? Oh, she's afraid somebody's going to steal baby Jesus. They might. It's, it's pretty cool. <laughs> but, but let's talk about, hey, let's talk about what's going on here, okay? Pause on this for a second. And let me read that verse, those, that verse again. It says, She gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And this is the picture that we have in our head. But there's some very important things happening here in this picture. Let's talk about some of those things. The first one is this, the swaddling cloths. Go ahead and show that next slide. This is an idea of what that might have looked like. You know, we, we, we think, oh, we got baby blankets and we've got the onesies and we put the little mittens on their hands so they don't scratch their faces with their nails when they're babies. We have all of these different things to, to treat newborn babies really special. This, this, is, this is what they had. Strips of cloth. And they would take that, those strips of cloth and they would do the same thing that we do today. And they actually teach you this when you have a baby in the hospital. They teach you how to, how to swaddle a baby. How you lay that baby down and, and you fold up the bottom and you tuck one arm in and you fold the side over and tuck the... See, I remember how to do this. Long, I was good at it. I did a good job. But the whole point of that is to keep the baby warm. And, and, and help that baby feel safe as they're entering this big, new, ridiculously scary world. And, that, and that's what Mary does with Jesus. She takes him and she wraps him in that cloth to make him warm and comfortable. Because if you remember, hey, Scripture tells us that Jesus was 100% God. He was God, but He was God in the flesh. He was also 100% man. Scripture tells us he felt every emotion we felt. He was tempted in every way that we are tempted. He came in as a helpless baby. 
And He did that for us. Something else to pay attention to here is the manger. Now, a lot of times when we think of the manger, we think it's the building that He was in. That's not actually what the manger is. Show that next slide up there. Scripture tells us that Mary laid Joseph in, a, or Mary laid Jesus in the manger. Not Joseph. Jesus. I'm telling you, I'm getting my words mixed tonight. That would be a really big manger. The manger is the feeding trough. The manger is what the animals ate their food out of. What's that? No, it wasn't sanitary. I mean, it's, it's not like they said, hey, hold on a second, Mary. We've got this brand new manger. No animal is used yet. Put your baby in that one. No, she used what was there. Now, she might have tried to brush it out or clean it out or do something. I don't know. Scripture doesn't tell us that. But we know, we know it's not going to be a brand stinking new one there. This is the trough that the animals ate out of. Hey, whatever leftover food the people would bring out, that's what they ate out of. That's what Jesus is laid in. Now, we, we picture it made out of wood. It might have been made out of stone. We, we don't know exactly. It just tells us that that's what was used. But that's a big deal, guys. The, the first bed, the first place the Savior of the world ever laid his head was in a feeding trough. There's nothing special about that. Because the special thing is what was being laid in that feeding trough. That's a big deal. And there's a couple other things here. It tells us there was no room in the inn. Now, as I talked about before, a lot of times we think about that as like a hotel or, or a building with a whole lot of rooms. But let, let me show you what they think something like this might have looked like. Show that, that one up there. If you see this, the, the inn, there was no room for them in the inn. A lot of times what you would have it would be a house or a business and you'd have this, this big family room and you might have a guest room when it talks about there's no room in the inn. It would have been that extra room that some houses had, not all of them had them, but some houses had so that when people came through town or family came into town, they had a place for them to stay. So we don't know how many houses or how many places Joseph went to, but Scripture tells us the one he finally stopped at, there was no place for him inside. There was no place for Mary. There was no place for Jesus. So Scripture tells us that Jesus would have been born in the manger, really in the stable. Now, a lot of times, sometimes, it would have looked like this. It would have been this, this animal area that was on the outside of the house, kind of like this other room that was just for the animals. People didn't stay out there. In some instances where it wasn't this, if you had a house that was close to a, an area that had caves, people would actually use a cave as the place to keep their animals. So it's possible that cute little scene that we have of them in this little wooden building, they may have been in a cave. We, we don't know. Scripture doesn't really tell us that. But what we do know is that is where Mary gave birth to Jesus. In an area that was made for animals. In an area that probably smelled pretty bad. In an area that humans didn't stay. And that right there is how the Savior of the world was born. In a place that was not ready for Him in a place that made no room for him. 
So my question to you again is this tonight. Have you made room for Jesus in your life? Is, as, as a parent of a newborn, you do all kinds of things to get ready for that baby to come. You drop everything. You rearrange your entire life to be prepared for that child. And yet quite so often, Every one of us who knows about Jesus, who has heard about Jesus, the problem is our lives are so cluttered that we've made no room for Jesus in our life. That, that when it comes to Jesus trying to be in our life, we say, you know what, I've got this relationship that I've got to take care of. I've got this job I've got to take care of. I've got all these other things going on in my life, Jesus. I've got friends. I really don't have time for you right now. I can't make room for you. Why don't you just wait? over there. That's, that's pretty much what happened here in this account of Jesus' birth. We don't have room for you in the end. You can go over there. But guys, the reality is, is that we don't make room for Jesus in our lives at times. And, and as we sit here tonight and we start thinking about or start hoping for all of the different great Christmas things we're going to do to celebrate the birth of Jesus... You've got to stop and ask yourself, have I even made room for him? Am I so focused on everything else going in my life? Am I so focused on all of the other things that are cluttering that space where Jesus is supposed to be? Which, by the way, is supposed to be your whole life is supposed to be focused on who Jesus is. It's not one little I asked Jesus into my heart and he lives here. No, it's, it's Jesus is Lord of your entire life, your whole existence. We tell Jesus, I don't have room for you. I want you to stay over there. And yet what Jesus is saying is, I don't want you to make room for me. I want all of you. Have you done that tonight? Have you made that space? Have you said, Jesus, I, I, I'm, I'm not giving you this little thing anymore. I'm, I'm giving you everything. You know, they couldn't give him room in the end. Jesus is saying, I don't want the room. I want the end. I want your whole life. I want everything that you are. And my question to you tonight is, have you made room for that? Have you put your faith and trust in Jesus? Do you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you've asked him to forgive you of your sin and you belong to him? If you don't, when we start singing, come talk to me tonight. Because I want to show you how Scripture says that you can put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and know that you belong to Him. And you don't have to then, from that point on, try to make room for Jesus. You belong to Him and He's here and He's got all of you. And it's an incredible thing. Now, there may be some of you in here tonight where you know you've put your faith and trust in Jesus, but you've let other things start cluttering up your heart cluttering up your life and cluttering up your relationship with him. And it's time to move those things out of the way. If that's you tonight and you know what those things are, I want to challenge you. Talk to God about those things. Write it down on one of those cards. Drop it in a basket. Myself and the other adults in this room will pray for you. I don't do it every week. I try to, but sometimes I forget. I take those prayer cards and I send those out to the adult life group leader that you would go to on a Sunday morning. So I'm not the only one praying for you. 
If you're a middle school guy, Mr. Corey's praying for you. If you're a high school senior, Mr. John and Miss Marlin are praying for you. If you're a middle school girl, Miss Kathleen and Miss Chloe are praying for you. And we've got other leaders in Miss Mallory, Mr. Chad, high school guys, high school girls, Mr. Paul upstairs. They're praying for you. That God will work in your life the way that you want God to work in your life. So that you're not trying to make room, but so that you're giving him everything you have. If that's you tonight, write it on a card. Drop it in that basket. And spend a minute on your knees, on your face, talking to God about that. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for your son, Jesus. God, we, we thank you for the way he came into this world. In a way that nobody expected. but God in a way that changed humanity. And God, just like there was no room for him in the end, sometimes we make sure there's no room for him in our lives. God, I pray that you help every single one of us tonight to not give the same response that Enkeeper gave. God, help us to know that we have a relationship with you through Jesus Christ, that we are forgiven of our sin. God, help us to hand over those things that are cluttering up our life, that are keeping us so busy that we can't stop and focus on Jesus and who he's called us to be. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing.